Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this episode, we have J.R. Todd and Joe Amato, and we talk about what's been going on during the break. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. We're talking iRacing and history with a five-time top fuel champ. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace! This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hey, everybody, welcome to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Brian Loans, hoping everybody out there is safe and sound as we continue to wait out the virus and wait out the restart of our 2020 season planned for the first weekend in June at the NHRA Amelie Oil Gator Nationals. Been a fairly busy news week here for NHRA Drag Racing so far. The release of the schedules for the ProMod class, for the Factory Stock Showdown category, for the Harley-Davidson, the Mickey Thompson Top Fuel Harley-Davidsons, and for the Mountain Motor Pro Stocks hit the newswires, if you will, this week. Please go to NHRA.com or check out any of NHRA's social media channels for the full layout on the dates and what you can expect there. We'll tell you this. There will be 12 races for the Pro Mod still this year. There will be 10 races for the Nitro Harley-Davidson motorcycles, two of which have already been run. And there's going to be eight races for the Factory Stock Showdown category brought to us by SamTech.edu. And there will be four races for the Mountain Motor Pro Stocks. Where are those happening? That's when I want you to go to the website. I want you to look at the NHRA.com site, and they will give you the breakdown of what events those categories will be at. And needless to say, we will have some very busy weekends over the course of the remainder of 2020 once we get things fired back up again. Other cool stuff that's been going on in the world of virtual racing involving NHRA competitors, Sean Langdon, Ron Caps, Cruz Pedragon, those guys have been keeping themselves busy iRacing in various disciplines of motorsport. And it will be Ron Caps and Cruz Pedragon appearing on FS1 on Wednesday evening. That is uh, tonight. I'm actually making the show on a Wednesday. They're going to be on FS1 racing with the World of Outlaws series for the first time ever. That series will be broadcast on FS1 in its iRacing variant. So those guys are doing well. And for Sean Langdon, uh, he did a great job running in the IndyCar series. They ran at Worldwide Technology Raceway, a simulation of Worldwide Technology Raceway. And at one point, Langdon raced himself all the way up to the number two position before he got himself tangled up. He ended up finishing 15th, but he was running right behind Graham Rahal in the number two spot for a while, making all of us uh, drag racers out there proud because uh, showing his chops. Now, there are other racers. Uh, Austin Prock has been uh, getting himself back up to speed in the world of iRacing. Of course, Prock, a midget racing champion, a phenom. I'm kind of surprised Doug Coletta doesn't have one of these rigs yet. He may have one on order. J.R. Todd has one on order, but unfortunately for him, all the various restrictions on people's ability to go to work and people's ability to ship things and be in you know, close contact with each other have prevented him from getting his iRacing equipment. Uh, he went the extra mile and bought kind of a really cool rig as opposed to just the thing you clamp to your desk. He has the uh, he has kind of a full pull setup coming, but it has been delayed because of the fact that uh, the guys that are building it aren't really allowed to go to work and build the stuff right now. So when he is able to get his hands on that thing, he will also jump into the deep end of the iRacing pool. There are many NHRA racers that uh, are iRacing, some that had never done it before this whole thing started, and others have been doing it a while. And we're seeing their skill level, and we will see their skill level on TV tonight on Wednesday. Now, 
on Thursday, and uh, I should clarify that it's going to be Thursday, April 2nd, and really any point going forward for this particular piece of news, you can go to bracketraces.com. That is bracketraces.com, no spaces, none of that stuff. And you'll be able to watch something called the Pros versus Joe's Reaction Time Challenge. And J.R. Todd's going to be my first guest on the show today. And J.R. Todd is going to talk to us all about the Pros versus Joe's Reaction Time Challenge. It is a great idea. Something that is uh, definitely expandable, something that should definitely continue to happen, and something that I think could be um, even a bigger deal than it already is after this first episode drops. So you're going to be able to watch this on uh, BracketRaces.com. We're going to talk to J.R. Todd about the specifics of what he did, uh, who was involved, and kind of what the whole um, let's go, what the whole program was. Very interesting and a fun concept there. Other news in drag racing, the NMRA and NMCA uh, series have revised their schedules. You can go to racepagesdigital.com to check out what they've done to change their schedules. I know a lot of NHRA fans uh, follow those NMRA and NMCA series, and I know a lot of our racers actually run in some of those events because they run a stock and super stock category. And they do some index racing that some NHRA racers like to participate in. So if you're a person that was considering running NMRA or NMCA in 2020 and you have penciled in your dates, you may want to check the calendar because like everybody else, they have had to make some changes and some edits to what their schedule is. And really, uh, just catching up with people uh, kind of around the sport, everybody's staying in contact, people are working on race cars, people are uh, finalizing repairs, guys like Stevie Fast that had work to do to, to get their stuff fixed, they have had ample time to do that, and they have been able to do that. As one would imagine, the business disruptions that this causes has given people a whole lot of time, and we on the NHRA media side of things have been working hard to bring you Skype interviews and different different kind of content material for you to hang out and watch during this time when our series isn't racing so again facebook instagram nhra.com and nhra youtube are where you're going to find all that stuff including a series that we've been making called the nitro time machine and we're rolling those out they are really cool uh, moments that uh, i picked and then did the setup on and then les mayhew is in charge of cutting all the footage and finding the really good behind the scenes nitty-gritty stuff that you really don't normally see les mayhew has access to the nhra's film archive and inside that film archive are the not just the edited shows that ran on tv back in the day but all the kind of rough cut footage so as you watch these NHRA time machines, you will start to see things that no one's ever seen before because it's the raw footage in many cases. It's things um, it's things that were cut out of the show back in the day when they only had an hour on television to show a national event. It was tough to capture a lot of what was going on, but we have all the raw footage. So Les Mayhew's been killing it on that front, and you'll see several of those begin. They've already been dropping, but they will continue to drop on a maybe a weekly basis or something like that. Also, uh, features on NHRA.com, including never-before-published photos from some of the early races, like the 1955 Nationals and others. It is uh, it has been interesting to, to look at everybody on the NHRA media side, and everybody's gotten creative, come up with new ideas. We did a show called NHRA Rewind Live, which you can watch on YouTube. It's been archived there. That was myself, Tony Pedragon, Lewis Bloom, and Jamie Howe. Uh, retelling the story of the 2019 Seattle race where John Forrest won his 150th event and Austin Proc won his first. 
and we tell you the race from the inside out. We talk about all the things that were going on during that day, some of the calamity stuff behind the scenes, some of the craziness that was happening on our end of things, which you never really get to hear about at home. We don't normally talk about the stuff that's going on behind the camera, if you will. But in this case, the entire broadcast is re- rerun with the four of us giving the uh, giving the story behind the story. So this is uh, this is kind of an interesting period in, in drag racing history, of course. We know it is, but the good thing is everybody's getting creative. The wagons have been circled, and I know it's a hard time for so many people out there. It's uh, a hard time for everybody, whether we're talking financially, medically, whatever it is. And I feel like it's important for us to you know keep talking about drag racing, important for us to keep going forward with stuff like the podcast and all the content that we're making and just trying to help people get through these days which seem to get longer by the week so uh thanks for listening to the podcast i think we got a fun show for you today we're going to start things off with uh, your friend and mine nitro funny car racer and one of the competitors in the pros versus joe's reaction time challenge this is my conversation with jr todd JR, we got to talk about this thing, man, because there's not much difference in my mind between the pros and the Joes involved here. <laughs> no, the the Joes is just a uh, a slang name for those guys. Those are uh, definitely the baddest drag racers on the planet when it comes to uh, you know sportsman racing and bracket racing for sure. So Kyle Seifel put this thing together, and my understanding of what we're going to be seeing uh, on YouTube on Thursday evening or tonight when this show is going to air on Thursday um, is a, a kind of a live-action battle between you guys. I mean, I know the event has taken place, but we're going to watch it kind of as it happens. So I know you can't give us results, and we don't want results, but tell us what the format of this thing was or is. It uh, It's a great idea by Kyle for sure. I'd, uh, I'd like to see uh, you know more people get involved with this with uh the downtime that's uh that's taking place but yeah i mean it's uh all the pros versus uh, the joe's first round it's a uh, kind of a blind draw from kyle and it's uh it's definitely <laughs> i i thought it would be uh you know pretty easy not easy but uh anytime you're practicing on the tree i mean it's it's not as mentally yourself. tough right you're, you're not yeah, as yeah, yeah yeah exactly you're by yourself and you're just uh calm and relaxed but uh when uh, when you're going and there's 15 other people watching you, you get a little uh, shaky with that button in your hand. Well, especially when those 15 people are like 15 of the greatest drag racers in the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I like. I felt just honored to be a part of that and to have those guys watching me. You know, like I, I learned from uh, you know Langdon. If, uh, the more you do it, the the quicker you get. Whatever. Then you got to start adjusting with uh, the delay and, and all that on the delay box side so you know i'm double o and then as soon as it's go time without messing with the delay or anything i instantly slow down a hundred just because uh the nerve set in so uh kyle pre-published the first round matchups here so i want to i want to have people kind of to get them really interested in watching this thing tonight uh here here are what the first round pairings are for this event antron brown taking on uh, luke cool and luke bagaki that's mental then he got eric anders taking on johnny brackett racer and that guy's a killer i mean he's a guy that's what he won the million he's you know the guys won everything then he gets sean langdon and taking on peter biondo bo butner and scotty richardson you have johnny labuse <laughs> In the first round, Ron Caps, uh, Gary Williams, Alex Laughlin, and Corey Galitti, and then Jag and Jeff Verdi. And of course, Jeff Verdi, famously the guy that's won like every big money bracket race with his foot break 
Pontiac Firebird that he tows on an open trailer. <laughs> I mean, it really is like it's a it's an all star event, and I think it's a cool way uh, it's a cool way to get people tuned in to to just kind of show off the the skill sets you guys have developed. And how long? I guess what was the timeline? When did you know you were going to be involved in this thing? How when did he make the picks? Um, so Kyle and and Sean had been talking, and then uh, Sean reached out to me uh, earlier last week. Asked if I'd be uh, interested in doing it. First, he asked if I had a practice tree, which all drag racers should <laughs> right, have a practice right. tree. I mean, whether or not I use it every day, that's a different story. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I have a couple practice trees laying around the house. So yeah, I was a uh, I was game and all for it. And uh, then the things leading up, it's like, all right, now it's time to get this thing out and blow the dust off of it and see uh, see how good you really are. Which I felt confident, you know, uh, leading up to it. But uh, you guys will see uh, how it all goes down. No, it's uh, it's a great thing, and I love the fact that it's uh, you know that the pro racers come from all the different disciplines, from funny car to top fuel to pro stock, and that the 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 quote unquote Joe racers are guys that are traditionally button racers and guys that are bottom bulb racers. I think that's um, you really are getting a, a great cross section of kind of everybody's skill set in drag racing, which makes it unique. Was there any uh, was there any junk being talked amongst the competitors when this thing's going on? Uh, there wasn't. Uh... <laughs> much junk talking but i i mean i saw some of the comments leading up to it you know on uh on social media and whatever i don't think a lot of people gave uh the the pros much chance just because it's button racing and that's something that uh that we don't do but i mean a lot of us grew up doing it i mean i raced uh super comp and bracket race for three years and then i uh, drove the outlaw pro mod which it had a uh a, you know a trans brake button gotcha. and a delay box in it so i mean I'm pretty familiar with it, just uh, just not something that I do on a on a weekly basis. But uh, if you do it enough, it all uh, it all comes back to you. So uh, you know, the standard question here is like, what are you doing to keep yourself from climbing the walls, other than you know hitting the practice tree here? I know that uh, you know it kind of gets it gets weirder by the minute because you kind of start running out of stuff to do. And I know you're a guy, you know, you're a guy who keeps up very much in your physical fitness. You spend a lot of time doing that kind of specialized uh, driver training at the at the gym you attend. And I imagine that place is probably closed, like every other gym in the country at this point. Yeah, it's not a, uh, it's not much fun at this point. But you know, right before we got uh, you know, told the the lockdown was coming, I went and got some equipment from a uh, pit fit. Just brought it over here to the house to try and stay, uh, try and stay in shape, and you know, walk around the neighborhood, see all the neighbors out enjoying the the sunshine here in Indy. Just uh, doing whatever I can, like I said, to keep my sanity. But uh, you can only watch so much Netflix before you gotta go do something else. And, <laughs> and, and you and you totally peak once you watch the Tiger King show. That's it. Like you've watched the best thing that's available. So now everything else following that is garbage. Have you watched that yet? Because everybody oh, else dude, in America has. Dude, it's gotten bad enough that I've gone back and watched it a second time. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? Everybody, everybody's watching the Tiger King because if you don't watch it, then you don't understand any of the memes that you see on Instagram nowadays. Right. Every social media conversation is based around it. All the memes that pop up are based around the thing. And I have no idea. They probably paid like six bucks to have that documentary, and they've probably made a billion dollars off of it right now from all the people that yeah. have watched it. It's amazing how something like that just takes off and explodes and uh yeah i think old joe exotic be really pumped about himself right now if he knew what was going on in the world <laughs> so uh have you seen your folks at all and uh are you just kind of keeping it yourself i mean i know that uh you know it, it's impossible to not talk to anybody or see anybody during this time and i know your folks aren't that far away from you so have you made any trips back and forth there uh actually it's funny my mom reached out to me uh 
uh, probably a week and a half ago. She's like, hey, I got all these old DVDs and videotapes that uh, your grandma, you know, recorded all your races if you want them. I'm like, heck yeah. So uh, met her like halfway from uh, from Indy. They live about hour and a half, two hours southeast of me. So uh, met up with her, grabbed those DVDs and watched a few of those. And She brought me some Skyline Chili, which uh, oh, nice. no one out there is familiar with. is a Cincinnati thing. So if you're in that uh, region of the country, you see Skyline Chili, you have to uh, have to grab some of that. So she brought me some of that and just, uh, yeah, keeping up with uh, family and friends through uh, Snapchat and, and FaceTime and things like that. So I'm going to make you momentarily, anyway, defend Skyline Chili because a couple years ago, uh, I forget which website it was, they did a, a 50 states kind of food item, like what the signature food item of every state is, and they said that's, that Ohio, they said, was Skyline Chili, and they said it was the worst one out of the 50 states so one because there's a lot of people who have no idea what scott what this whole skyline program is explain what it is and defend why it is not the worst food of any state in the united states i don't know i mean yeah i guess it's an acquired taste because like when you hear like how it's made or the you know mixed together it doesn't sound good but i mean it's something i grew up on and there's like three or four different you know chili companies around the cincinnati area that are all making the same thing but skyline's obviously the best so you got you know chili spaghetti beans and like the chili it's got like cinnamon in it so it has like this kind of sweet taste to it but i'm telling you dude it's uh it's amazing <laughs> i like it man you sold me on it so any of you uh <laughs> any of you folks once this all gets done you're traveling around you go to the norwalk race you go on anywhere in ohio pick up some skyline chili hey man i appreciate you taking a few minutes uh with us here and again uh can't wait to watch tonight what do you know specifically what the youtube channel it's going to be on i can make sure i get the uh, specifics on that yeah i don't i don't even know that for sure i know like we did it through uh I think Zoom was the platform that uh, everybody was logged into, but I don't know the YouTube channel. Okay, I believe it's going to be, as I'm looking right now, um, I think it's going to be on the Spring Fling. I think it's going to be on the okay, Spring that, Fling channel, which makes total right. sense. Yeah, so. yeah, and I know Nate Hershey and uh, somebody else is going to uh, commentate it, so that would be pretty cool. Yeah, and apparently Mark Dawson had some role in organizing this whole thing, so it's a miracle that it came off if Dawson was involved in any way, shape, or form. So this is a... <laughs> no, Mark's a great guy, and the whole group of you that are involved is cool, and thanks for giving us something to be excited to watch on a Thursday evening. We've been watching some of the iRacing stuff. Uh, I know you ordered a rig. Have you gotten your iRacing stuff yet, or no? No, I was headed to uh, Oklahoma tomorrow to go pick it up, and the dude literally just called me an hour ago. It was like, yeah, the city's on lockdown now. They came and, you know, shut down our facility, which this iRacing rig sim, like, that's his side business. His family has, like, a big uh, metal fabrication okay. company or something like that. So I was like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> now, now what do Not, I do? Yeah, exactly. Nothing's going right. Well, hey, man, listen. Yeah. Um, One thing I wanted to mention was uh, yeah. this practice treaty. Like, I think it'd be a great thing for NHRA to do amongst, like, pro racers or even, you know, sportsman racers or something they could get involved in as well no i think you're 100 right and i know a lot of us uh a lot of us are excited about it and it has come up on i can tell you it's come up on some some phone calls internally with stuff we're working on in the next couple of weeks to keep people entertained so um i do feel like you're going to see this become not I don't, i'm not making any guarantees but i i don't think it's the last you're going to see of this and and thanks so much to kyle seipel and dawson and beyondo for those guys for being creative and coming up with an idea that i think uh we can all help grow to keep people uh, enter, entertained and interested over the next couple of weeks yeah absolutely i'm uh i'm all for it i know that everybody that was in that deal uh, the other night like they uh they all want to do it again right away 
Perfect. Well, Jared Todd, thanks for taking a couple of minutes out of, uh, I usually say out of your busy day, but listen, man, I don't know if anybody, unless you're making like surgical masks or uh, ventilators at this point, I don't think you have a very busy day in front of you. So uh, keep yourself occupied and I can't wait to uh, get back to it. Hopefully first weekend in June in Gainesville. All right. Thanks a lot, Brian. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Always great to hear from J.R. Todd. Glad to hear he's in good spirits and going to be very interested to watch to see how he fares during the pros versus Joe's reaction time challenge remember watch it on bracketraces.com we now transition into our second conversation of this episode i'm very excited to welcome five-time nhra top fuel world champion drag racing hall of fame member and man about town joe amato joe how you doing real good real good brian glad to be here yeah it's really uh it's great to have you on and of course i want to talk to you today about the 1990 season uh of your five championships i have to guess that one was the most dramatic yeah, that was probably uh, the most stressful, I guess you could say, <laughs> the way it came down. But but also the most exciting, at the same time as being stressful. You know, the always when you look back at something, it looks different than when you're actually doing it. You know, when you're doing something like that, it's it's exciting and there's a lot of tension in your nerves, and you're trying not to have a, a malfunction in your brain and your crew chiefs out there, the team, everybody is trying to do their best. So there's a lot of pressure, but looking back it gets exciting because you know you what the results were you know the amazing thing to me is that 1990 season was 18 races you won six of them and it still came down to the last run of the season and ormsby had gotten a pretty slow start in 1990 so i guess one of the things i wanted to ask you is it would seem the pressure really kind of came in on the back half of the year right because the beginning of the year ormsby really wasn't much of a factor no, but I'm sure, you know, we're going back and looking at the points, there was always somebody there. You know, that's the yeah. the interesting part. See, they did it a little different with the points back in those days, you know. Uh, you, you could get more points, and so and then Indy was points and a half, so it was, and they didn't pull them all together. So right. really, it was what the season was, what, what, what came down to be what you had is what you got. It wasn't like you reshuffled and you could be leading all year and then get way behind, you know. That was your second, that was your third championship you locked up in 1990. And I guess my question for you would be, looking back over all this, if that had been going for your first championship, do you think you would have been able to pull it off, or do you think the experience of the previous two helped you out there? Well, definitely your first one is a lot more stressful trying to win it. So we were really lucky in 84 and then 88, and then, you know, 90 was like coming into – we already had two in our, in our, you know, under our belt, I guess you could say. So like everything else, it's like the first time I lined up against big daddy in my career. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, here I'm racing the legend in the lane next to me. I'm not supposed to be able to beat him. And you know, when you grow up with people, you know, it's funny. I have a good friend. Uh, she plays professional tennis. I'm friends with her father actually. And she's like 21. And uh, I was around them. Her father actually owns the Buffalo Bills. She actually won a Grand Slam in Virginia this year, and but she was playing for it in the. I wanted to say the Australian Open. She was playing in the semifinals against Serena Williams, who was like a powerhouse, and, and you know, and she came back from a break point down and, and and held the game, and she ended up losing, but she showed a lot of moxie. So I, I was talking to her father. We we're at the Super Bowl. And he said, you know, go over and talk to her about how you used to race garlics and for the first time and what, how your mindset, you know, because, you know, it's, it's a mental toughness thing when you're racing 
And so I was over and talking to her about, you know, how it was when I was racing and racing against people that I didn't think I should be able to beat because they're the guys you looked up to. And, you know, whether it was Perdome or Bernstein or racing Shirley, there were people that were already there ahead of me. And I came in, Johnny come lately, <laughs> and I had, I had, I had to race them. So I was able to beat them more than not, but, but, but it was something you had to get your brain trained for. And that's a, a mental toughness thing. So I was able to parlay some of my racing savvy into, you know, her with what she does. And it was good, I think, for both of us in a way. Cause maybe I could give her some, you know, sense of, make sense of something that's really tough when you're playing somebody that's in your mind really tough, you know. And it's, it's, so let's hope it'll help her come back and win some more slams. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great story, and it's cool to be able to kind of coach somebody like that. And, and it's a, it's a totally different sport, but you said the mentality you got to be the same to win. Now, along those same lines, 1990 was when Bernstein and um, and Snake came back into Top Fuel, and that really did kind of change the face of the class too. Right. Yeah. When you know Kenny Bernstein, he was the the powerhouse over in, in the funny car, and we were actually friends. And then all of a sudden, I got to race him. But but that that was good too. So you know, looking back in my career, I was glad I was able to race guys like Bernstein, Perdome, you know, and the Garlitz and Shirley and Orangeby and Dick LaHaye and all of the people. You know, every once in a while, somebody will put a a statistic sheet of a win from 1990 or something, and they'll show the like the National Drags a reprint of the the ladder, what everybody won, what they ran, what their lapse time was, and yeah, you know, look at some of that stuff. And you, you know, a couple races I won, couple I lost, and you look at the the reaction times you did, and and how you what you had to do to win, and you know win some with a whole shot, lose some with a whole shot. It's really interesting to look back at your career one one little piece at a time because sometimes you were good and sometimes you weren't, you know. <laughs> And it's funny, I always make a comment on the ones when I race against Daryl. And he put a comment last week on Facebook saying, well, how come you only comment on the ones where you beat me? <laughs> I, when I was 65, I ha- had a birthday party in Pennsylvania, and Daryl couldn't come up, and I had invited him. So he said, I'll make a video for you instead. So he made a video up, and he sent it, and we played it on the big screen. We had it in, at a place, a big uh, place for parties. And, and the screen comes up, and it was every race that Daryl kicked my butt that he had on the thing. So I said, Daryl, I think I owe you payback on this. You know, you remember you sent me that video when it was all the ones when you were beating me and you beat me and you beat me like a, a, yesterday's newspaper. So it was really funny that he did that. So I get a chance. I pay him back every time I can. And I beat the kid. I beat the kid, you know. But uh, that's, you know, that's the way racing is and. And thank God we had all these good memories and moments of friends of ours that, you know, whether it was Bernstein or, you know, Dick LaHaye's no longer here, but we had some good go-arounds. I remember when I first came with the big wing that uh, they came up with a rule. You can only have the wing so tall. And I remember we used to show up and Dick LaHaye be looking at our wing, looking <laughs> at our wing. And we'd be in the stage lane. I'd see him walk up to my wing and stick his hand up and, like, measure and then go get a tape measure and measure. I said, Dick, we're not, we're not cheating. He was kept thinking we're, we're stretching it up another inch or two. You know, funny you have certain memories of people just like, uh, I'll never forget when, when, you know, we raced Hornsby in the, the, the final round of that race. And, you know, at the end of the race, he sat in his truck down the end and he was kind of dejected because he lost and 
I remember he was having a cigarette, and God knows I didn't know he wouldn't be there the next year at yeah. that same time. What he had going on, you know, sometimes I think in my mind maybe it would have been better it was different just because of what happened to him and didn't happen to me. But, you know, that's, that's racing and that was life. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing. You know, you're lucky, you're lucky when you win sometimes and, and I've lost more than my share of, of when dumb things happen, you know, like I remember one time I was racing, I want to say it was La Haye and I had him beat him at the last race and it was going to be for, I would have shot at another championship. We got second so many times and an input chat broke, and you know, uh, uh, have the race gone, and all he had to do was don't break apart, and the part broke. So I mean, uh, another time I was racing LaHaye, I'm pretty sure it was in Ohio, and I was ahead of him, and he blew up. We kind of got a little tight to each other, close on the track, kind of drifted both toward the center a little, and his engine engine blew up right in my face, literally. Yikes! And and I ducked down in the car, and I had a knee jerk reaction. My foot came off the gas because I like kind of just went tightened up and and he he beat me because i pulled the gas back <laughs> and and he and he had the momentum <laughs> so i mean you know dumb things happen to you and, and they have sometimes good effects on your brain or your body and the result and sometimes bad ones but you you always think back of the the dumb ones that that you do and you let go you know but uh that's why racing is so exciting. You know, that's why they race, you know, on paper, sometimes it looks like this guy doesn't have a chance. The next thing he's, he's in the final for the race or something, you know? You know, I think one of the things that's most interesting about, about you to me and about your career is that a world-class racer, five-time champion ran as hard as anybody out there. And you are more friendly with people that you raced with than I think almost anybody else I know that competed at your level. And I think it speaks to your personality and it speaks to who you are because I know you have a great relationship with Bernstein. Uh, you know, you talked to Snake, all these guys. There are not many guys that were as successful as you were that maintained friendships in the sport. I mean, everybody always likes the Snake. used to always say, you're, I'm your friend. We go to the starting line and we'll rip your heart out. And that's, that's a good mindset, you know. But, but also, being as he's a good friend, you want to beat him. Just because you can bust the chops, then you know. Oh, I yeah. mean, that, that's who I am. Whether I'm playing golf and we're and we're putting for a five dollar uh, hole or, or, or a, a, a win or something, if you you really like to make them, so I, my competitive spirit definitely jumps up and I work extra hard to try to, just because you can bust some chops and have some fun with it. It's not about the money; it's about the winning and the the thrill of the victory versus the agony of the defeat, as Derek <laughs> Williams always say. You know. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. One of the things I've been interested in, you know, your your career, your business life was in was in the world of auto parts, was in the high performance industry, starting with the small uh, the small one store, growing it into Keystone. We all kind of know that story. Um, how much of that you mentioned in, in a lot of interviews you've done in the past about you know you realized, hey, if my race car runs good, I end up doing more business. And I guess did the pressure ever get get really mount on that in terms of making sure you had a competitive race car? to match the business you know what i mean i i think the biggest uh issue in regard to that would be every year we go to the keystone nationals in reading and we bring <laughs> we bring 500 to, to a thousand people which are all our customers and we would go down there and we'd you know be doing pictures and autographs with all the crowd and we try and win the race for the cut for the customers. And we, we almost came close so many times we'd get to the final and lose. And, and so like, that was probably the most frustrating in regard to, because the customer used to say, are you going to win this year? That was like going into the race. So they knew they were coming. Are you going to win this year? So there was a lot of pressure. So finally 
we won that race and then we won that race back to back in my last victory of the last year when I raced, we won the race. So that was a good salute to get out of, out of Dodge and, and satisfy the customers. But I think that was probably more frustrating to me because there were so many people that we raced for customer wise that were friends and all that were there and, and we would really try and do good. And then to have to go back to the, the 10 area after the victory, after we lost, it was very, uh, I'd say frustrating and and really hard to do mentally, but so eventually when we won that race, it was like wow, they finally lifted, you know, lifted me clean out of the the doldrums <laughs> of not winning Reading, my hometown track, and all. So we, so that that was probably the most stuff there. And the other thing is when when you have sponsors, including Keystone and all the parts and the people, you you, you just you know you put a lot of pressure on yourself. Yeah. No different than than Tim Richards put the pressure on himself to try and do good especially you know the president of the company that you're sponsored was around or something like that you yeah. know so so like you really you really want to do good and and sometimes the harder you try the worse it is you know where you have to just be loose and and let it flow you know i always just to say how many times after indy i was leading the points chase or close and we between indy and the last race of the year we'd end up second or third because maybe we try too hard and we're too aggressive or whatever the reason being, you know, if you look back at your career and you look at how many times you were second and you're trying, you know, like you, you got a little bad batch of blowers. You got, there was always a story at the end of the year of what happened looking back. <laughs> right. You, you wish you knew that going in, you'd make <laughs> right. the right changes and, and, and put it in the right perspective and do the, put the right parts on the car. You know, it's all about, but it's all about the team and the crew chief giving you a car that you can win with and then you got to drive it. But uh, if you don't have a good car, you can get the best reaction time in the world and the smokes or tires or doesn't have the power, you're going to get beat. So it's really comes down to the, the team and the crew chief are, are really very, very important. Yeah. And I guess it would go back as well, kind of on the same side of business. I mean, you're a guy 16 years old, uh, your father unfortunately passes away and you have to make a decision about whether you're going to stay in school or you're going to go run your company and you decide to go run the company. And I guess, did you ever have any moments when, when the business was really growing probably more than you could have ever expected it when you looked around and went, uh, I was 16 when I got out of school and look at me now type of thing. Did they ever have that kind of moment settle in on you? Yeah, I think I think when we first we started with business, we were doing like maybe two hundred thousand dollars worth of total business in a year. So we, we you know we got it going. By the time I was eighteen, we had two stores, and we finally got the business up to when we did our first million dollars worth of business in a year. It was like wow, who would ever would have thought we could do a million dollars worth of business? Never mind, someday we're going to do two hundred fifty million dollars worth of business when we got Keystone really going and. 1,100 employees and a crazy big business, a kid that only went to 10th grade. I mean, that that was like, holy God. I mean, I did what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. You know, it was like one of them all-American dream stories, but it's like in life. The harder you work, I think, I always say the luckier you get. And if you're doing something you really love, it's not work. You can do it seven days a week, 12 hours a day, because it's, you have the passion for it. That's what I see a lot of times today, some of these kids, we, we, they don't have the passion. When you're running this, somebody has a, a, a burn or a passion to be in a sport, whether they want to be a golfer or whatever, and, and they, they, they're living their dream, I always tell them, well, go do it because you have the, the desire and, and you're going to work hard because you love what you're doing. If you get into a career or a job that you don't like, don't why do it? Because you're, you're not going to do good at it. 
and you're going to be not happy going to work every Monday morning. So you got to pick out what you like in life and then go and try and excel and be the best at it. And if you can do that, you can be successful and the money will follow. But if you're not doing something you like, it's hard to be successful and have what you want. Amen. Joe Motto, thanks for taking some time with us today. Great to uh, reminisce about uh, the 30th anniversary of your third championship. You were number nine voted as the uh, the top 50 drivers of NHRA history back when that poll was taken, I guess back around 2000 now, 2001. And uh, always great to be able to chat with you, Joe. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day. All right, Brian, you're doing a, you're doing a good job. You know, We'll be racing some point in time here and keep up the good work. And uh, you're, you're in a good place doing what you love to do, and we love to listen to you. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it, and uh, be okay, safe and healthy you. down there in Florida. Okay, okay. thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Conversation with Joe Motto, the five-time NHRA Top Fuel World Champion and all-around fantastic guy. He is a uh, fun dude to hang out with. He comes to a lot of NHRA races and not somebody that uh, sits on the sidelines. He's out there, he's active, and have had uh, the great pleasure of spending some time with Joe Motto away from the racetrack, and it is as fun as you would certainly expect it to be. We'll be back next time with another NHRA Insider Podcast as we continue to talk to interesting people in the world of drag racing as we continue to wait out this delay in the 2026 season we all want to get it back going as quickly as possible but we all want you our racers our fans everybody involved in drag racing to stay safe over the next several weeks and over the next month or two because uh, that is apparently when things are going to be the most serious we hope we can get back to it in june i know we're going to be getting back to the podcast next week so stay tuned for more guests and more drag racing conversation here on the nhra insider podcast with brian loans thanks for listening